uh, picture of uh, the story of Peter and Cornelius from Acts chapter 10 uh, that we will look at this morning. As you know, we are journeying through the book of Acts. And uh, we're, each week, we are, we are learning how the Holy Spirit is working in the life of the church, how the church is born and how the church is growing. And that's really important to us because we're about six months old as a church. So we're really taking notes on how the Holy Spirit is working through the book of Acts. And so far, we've seen how the Spirit has helped the church stay focused on the mission of Christ. Uh, the church was growing, ministry was expanding, new leaders were being equipped for service and ministry. And then we come to this part. Something powerful is about to happen in the life of the church and through the life of the church that even today we can get excited about and celebrate. So it comes from Acts chapter 10, and I'm, I'm actually going to read the whole chapter. So uh, if you have a Bible and would like to follow along, I encourage you to do so. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 10, and I'll be reading from the New International Version, but it doesn't matter which version you have. It's the same story. So Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout, God-fearing, and had generous, gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. 
He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house that you, that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate, associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, he is a guest of the, in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead and on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all the people, all who heard this, this message, that circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This, I believe, is one of the most beautiful stories in the book of Acts. At first glance, you might think the story is about food. <laughs> they, they did a survey once uh, where they asked people who go to church and they asked the question, I mean, this wouldn't happen here, but other places, <laughs> they asked the question, if you are tempted to get 
distracted in daydream during the sermon, like I said, doesn't happen here, but other places, what are you tempted to think about? And uh, I, I suppose the people were honest uh, because what they said, the survey said, was that most people tend to think if they get distracted during the sermon, I wonder what we're going to do for lunch. We think about food. Well, if you're hungry this morning, don't fear because we have snacks. Oh, you don't have to think about it. We have snacks afterwards. Food, however, is not really the focus of this passage. Uh, the the uh, context of this message is rooted in the Old Testament idea of holiness. It's, it's being special and separated for the kingdom of God. It, it goes all the way back, actually, to the book of Genesis, the first book. God had called the people uh, to a special relationship with him, that they would be his own people, his blessing to the rest of the world. They were privileged people. They had a role, a distinctness in the world. They were to show by word and deed that God exists, that God is good, and that God is worthy of worship. They were holy in that way. But somewhere in the journey, they had forgotten the purpose. And, and instead of proclaiming God, they had created barriers between themselves and the rest of the world. By the time we read this story in Acts chapter 10, most of the religious people thought that in order to be holy, you had to exclude people. And so they began to practice a, a policy of making outsiders, of pushing people away. And they wouldn't even associate with people. They wouldn't associate with women. They wouldn't associate with tax collectors, with lepers, because these people they thought were unclean. They wouldn't associate with people who didn't follow the dietary laws. They wouldn't associate with people who didn't wash in the right way. They wouldn't associate with tanners who worked with dead animals. They wouldn't touch Samaritans or certainly not Gentiles. Who was a Gentile? Anybody who was not Jewish was Gentile. Basically, most of the world. Well, you kind of get the feeling of what was happening here. They would exclude things and people. And worst of all, they thought that this is what made them holy. In Acts chapter 10, we should know that Peter, like any good Jew, had been taught that anything to do with the Gentiles would have been off limits. If he had actually touched a Gentile, he'd had to go wash somewhere, even accidentally. Peter's background was defined by exclusivity, by insiders and outsiders. And, and you think, well, that was way back then in Acts chapter 10, right? Well, the truth is, we live in a world that still loves to separate and exclude people. It happens because of ethnicity. It happens because of cultural background. It happens because of economic status. It happens because of appearance. It happens if you're not fast enough, smart enough, or strong enough. It happens. It happens by way of, of being uh, not asked to dance, of not being invited into the team, of being voted off the island a hundred and thousands of ways. We come up with to exclude and divide people. It's the law of separation at work in our world. In fact, it's basically what happens on an airplane. 
You know, you've been on an airplane before. You got first class, you got everybody else. They call it economy class because they want it to sound nice. But you know what the difference is. First class, you have room to spread out your legs. You get a big cushy chair. You get a big TV. You get to eat on real dishes. You get beverages uh, as you want on the plane. And, and then there's, there's the rest of us. Economy class. You, you get to eat out of plastic dishes, uh, plastic utensils if they work. Uh, you get to sit in seats that are designed for small children on top of each other. And so we have it, a world that loves to separate and divide people. People do this in so many ways in our world. You, they take the wonderful distinctions and uh, differences that God has made and, and ex intended for beauty and harmony and use them to exclude and divide. And the problem with all this division, with all this exclusion, is that we miss the blessing that God wants to give through every person. And that's why I think it's important that we notice, even in this passage, Peter is staying at the house of the tanner. Now, sometimes you, we've lost by this point in the story, uh, but I, I want us to not miss it because Peter shouldn't have actually been there. So first of all, the fact that he's even there tells us something about Peter. It tells us that Peter has a soft heart. You see, when, when the Bible talks about the condition of the heart, we get two images, two pictures. That we realize that, that one of the pictures is that of a hardened heart. It's what the book of Hebrews says when he warns us. He says in Hebrews 4, 7, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's what happens when we ignore the Holy Spirit, when we step over what the Bible teaches, when we rationalize the status quo, we remain unmoved and unchanged in his presence. The best analogy that, that I can think of is, is this substance that, I don't know if everybody is familiar with this or not, but we call it Play-Doh. Uh, it's basically movable, formable clay, uh, usually designed as a, as a kid's toy. But honestly, I like to play with it. It's, it's clay that you can fashion and, and make into something, and the Play-Doh versions have many colors. So you can create quite the, the amazing artwork, I, I think. But, but if you deal with Play-Doh, if you've, you've had that experience, if you had it in your house, you know the cardinal rule. You know the most important rule for Play-Doh. And the rule is, when you're done with it, put it back in the can and put the lid on it. Because if you don't, what happens? It gets hard and crusty. It no longer is usable or pliable. I can't tell you the, the number of times uh, in my household, especially when the kids were smaller, how many times I had to counsel one of the children who got into the Play-Doh and realized somebody didn't put it away right. And it was ruined, it was hardened, it was unusable. And we never did figure out who did it. It's the condition of a hardened heart. A heart that cannot, that will not be molded or changed and therefore not created, not molded by God into something beautiful. The other picture of a heart 
the Bible gives us is that of a soft heart. I like how the book of Ezekiel describes it when he says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take away your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. This is the kind of heart that's willing to be stretched, a heart that is willing to do the new thing God wants to do, a heart that Peter shows when he is willing to move past his cultural expectations and preconceived ideas. Having a soft heart is always the beginning. Because Peter had a soft heart, God gave him a vision. It was a vision that would forever change the life of the church and impacts us even still today. Because in the vision, Peter saw a large sheet uh, opening and, and these animals and reptiles, they, they were coming and the voice said, Peter, kill and eat, go. At first, Peter was, was taken back. But, but, but me, surely not, I would do, I would not do such a thing. Because Peter had always kept the, these dietary laws. He was a, a good Jew. And, and he wouldn't have eaten these things like shrimp and pork and catfish. But the voice persisted. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And Peter has this vision three times because it's obvious that God is about to do something amazing. Peter was thinking about this vision when people show up to his door and invite him to the home of Cornelius. And, and because Peter had a soft heart, he follows the leading of the Holy Spirit to the home of a Gentile. This is big deal. This was a no-no for every cultural Jew. This was deep in the cultural background of the Jewish tradition. But yet Peter goes to Caesarea. He knocks on the door. Cornelius answers in some way, come on in. It's an open door. You know, it's one thing to have a prejudice against somebody in theory, in, in, in discussion, in, in, in a safe distance, but it's quite another thing when you're face to face with another person that God has created in his image. Peter is there at the door and, and he knows that if he walks across that threshold, he walks across that doorway, that the entire life of the church will change. And that's why it's so important, why we, why we welcome each other, why we practice the ministry of hospitality, why we share our tables with people who are not like us people who may be far from a relationship with Jesus, the living Lord. That's why our tables must remain open to what God wants to do. Acts 10.25 tells us that Peter enters the house and the world has never been the same since. That's the power of acceptance because Peter shares the good news of Jesus with this family. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles. Hallelujah. I'd say that's for most of us because most of us probably aren't Jewish. God's spirit, the relationship with Jesus, begins to spread to the ends of the earth. I believe that's God's plan. That that's the reason Jesus came uh, as, a, as a baby in the manger. Why he, he lived a perfect life. Why he died on a cross and three days later was raised to life on that third day. And why? He is still at work in our world today. And while we're here, with this 
in this world, and in this way, we have an opportunity to share the good news with other people. We have an opportunity. It is an opportunity to practice hospitality, to open our tables, to have open hearts to people who are not like us. People who perhaps need to hear the good news of Jesus. And we learn, it's an opportunity to learn that when we give, we are the ones who receive the most. At the end of the story in Acts chapter 10, after Peter opens his heart towards Cornelius and after he enters the home, we read an amazing statement that I think sums up the entire experience. It's verse 34. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. It's as if he says, I had no idea, no idea how good God really is. The story of Acts chapter 10 is often called the, the conversion of Cornelius, but I think it's actually better understood as the conversion of Peter. Because Peter realizes that God is so much bigger, so much more grace-filled than he ever imagined. Can you be that person today? Are you willing to open your home, open your table, open your heart to the amazing thing that God wants to do in your life? I hope you are willing. I hope that you are open to, to hospitality to opening your table, to opening your heart. But here's the thing. In reality, we aren't able to. We aren't able to open our hearts. Those family prejudices, those cultural backgrounds, those experiences are too strong. We are molded and shaped in a way that we don't even have the power to open our hearts. In fact, the only hope for us is a brand new heart. Our hearts won't change. We need a brand new heart. When Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. That's good news. Because it means that God is willing to remove our stony, stubborn hearts and give us a heart that is tender and responsive. It's a heart transplant. It really is. I mean, you know, some of you medical school students, you, you know that a, a, transplant, a transplant, an organ transplant, requires somebody who would give one. Now, how many people do you know who would willingly give a heart transplant? I mean, maybe you would find somebody who could give a kidney or another organ, maybe. But willingly give a heart transplant, you won't find it. And so, God knew that we needed a new heart. And when he looked down at the human condition and realized only a new heart would do, God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, raised his hand and said to God the Father, here, take my heart. And on an operating table, a cross-shaped operating table, God the Father, the great surgeon, scared skillfully removed the heart of Jesus, his son, and offered it to the world, 
to all who would accept the truth because he knew that we couldn't seek first his kingdom on our own, that we need the heart of Jesus in us. So the real question this morning is, will you give up your stony, stubborn heart in exchange for a heart that is tender and responsive? We accept the life that Jesus wants to give to you so that you will have a soft heart, a heart that is willing to open the table, open your lives to people who are different, to the work, the way that Jesus wants to move in your life even now, even today. Let us pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you are not giving up on us, that you are even now offering a chance at life, a heart transplant. It's possible through you. And Lord, help us, help us to know we can't change this on our own. We can't make this situation better by our own efforts. The only thing we can do, but yet the absolutely necessary thing we need to do is to accept your heart, accept your life, your sacrifice, so that we may know you, we may know life in the way you have for us. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts, work in this way to give us a brand new heart even today. We thank you and we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.